this morning, my title of my message is, He came and He's coming again. He came and He's coming again, right? The Christmas celebration, of course, is about Christ's first coming. We celebrate the birth of Christ, right? But it should also be very close in our minds as we celebrate Christmas every year that Christ is coming again, right? The scripture said he, is, he was coming the first time and he came. And he said he's coming again and we can be assured he will come. And so as we celebrate Christmas, my invitation to all of us is to remember this. He came and he's coming again. As a Christian, as we look at Christmas, it is a joyous occasion. Why? Because Christ came and Christ is coming again. Right? That's why the most um, used hymn during Christmas, what do you think is the most used hymn during Christmas every year? Exactly. Joy to the world, right? But if you look at the, the song, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts, a pastor and theologian, um, the words of that song is not about the first coming of Christ. Did you know that Joy to the World is about the second coming of Christ? Right? Look at the words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. When Christ came the first time, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't introduced as a king, all right? He came as a baby in a manger. But when he returns, he's not coming as an ordinary person. He's not coming as a babe in a manger. He is coming as the king of kings and the lord of lords. The second verse goes, joy to the earth, the savior reigns. How many of you know, right now in the world, there are many who reign, but it is not our savior who reigns. Right? The earth is full of those who reign. Some reign well, some reign wickedly, right? But they are reigning in different parts of this world. But the Savior will one day reign. The third verse, joy, um, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How many of you know there's still sorrow, still pain? still sin. People are still experiencing the curse of, of, of the brokenness of what sin has brought into the world. But a time will come one day when Christ comes and His rule and His reign, all right, we will all be rejoicing and saying, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more um, brokenness that will infest our lives again. And then of course the final verse, he rules the world with truth and grace. Does he rule the world today? No. Is truth and grace prominent everywhere? No. But one day, that will be so. He will come. He is coming. And he will rule the world. For us, that is a joyous occasion. That's why we celebrate Christmas. To remind ourselves, the, the Bible promised us that the Messiah would come, that Christ would come, and He came. And now the Bible promises us that He will come again, and He will come again. There are three, about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that told us of the first coming of Christ. Right? 
and those prophecies were fulfilled. Do you know how many prophecies in, in the Old Testament that talk about the second coming of Christ and the culminating of, of events in the second coming of Christ? Nearly 1,800 prophecies. Now, I haven't done the count, so don't quote me on that. But I don't think we'll be very far away from that number, right? In the New Testament, there are over 300 verses that talk about the coming of the second coming of Christ, right? 300 verses talked about his first coming and he came, right? What is the Bible trying to tell us? If he came the first time, if he said he would come the first time and he came, if he says he's coming again, he will come again. So the Bible said that Christ will come the first time and he came. The Bible says he is coming again. He will come again. So this morning, I want to talk to, to us, all right? And I want to remind us that when he came the first time, they missed him. When he came the first time, the people of Israel or the people of God missed him. Wouldn't that be crazy though? Because they were saturated with this verses of prophecy and they were expecting the Messiah year after year, all right? This would absorb them. They were longing and waiting for the Messiah. And yet, when the Messiah stood right in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They missed the Christ in his first coming. John 1, the, um, John speaks about this in John 1, 10 to 11. He was in the world. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Isn't it crazy that all over the world, nearly 90% of the world believes there's a God and they worship a form of God, right? And religions are all over the world and they worship God, right? It was the same in the, in the days of Jesus and he came but nobody recognized the God they were worshipping, right? They, they talked about and they spoke about these prophecies that the Messiah would come, the Messiah would come, the Christ, the anointed one would come. He stood right there and they did not recognize him. He came and they missed him. In fact, in their waiting and while he was right in front of them, they rejected him. They didn't just miss him, they rejected him. Right? They tried to push him off the cliff at one time. Right? They constantly plotted against him, looking for reasons right, to catch hold of him. In fact, Luke says, uh, Matthew says that they tried to entangle him in his talk. Imagine having to watch your words every day because somebody is looking out for an opportunity to entangle you with your talk. Right? His family thought he was crazy. And the leaders thought he was demon-possessed. Their Messiah, the one they were waiting for. He came and they missed him. How did they get it so wrong? I think two things here. Firstly, they had an idea, a set idea of who the Christ would be. And secondly, they were just way too busy. You know, when we look at the manger... When we look at this manger scene, 
that's a reminder of how the early uh, how how the people of God missed their Christ the first time around they were so busy and the phrase that Luke puts there was no room in the in you know he says they wrapped him in swaddling clothes laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end right and I think the busyness, he talked about the busyness that's been kicked off, right, for Christmas, um, year after year, is really a reflection of the busyness of our lives and how easy it is. And someone, someone might say, all right, look, of course there was no room in the inn. It was Christmas time. You got to book early. Get the joke? No. <laughs> there was no room. And that's my whole counsel today. I'm saying to you, they missed him the first time. Let's not miss him when he comes the second time. He came the first time, but they missed him. He is coming again. Let's not miss him. I said that they missed him partly because they had an idea, a concept of when and how he was to come and where he was to come. And because Jesus didn't fit into those ideas, they rejected him, right? And as I think of the second coming and think of all these end time ideas that we all have, you know, all you've got to do is to pick up a book and you, they'll tell you all the ideas of the second coming of Jesus, right? In fact, when you write a book um, talking about the second coming of Jesus, you'll have first edition, second edition, third edition, because Somebody is predicting that the Antichrist is coming from Russia and then they have to change it. Or it's the European Union and then they have to change it, right? So they make a lot of money. We read a lot of books. We have such tidy ideas about the second coming of Christ. Pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, right? Um, um, Pre-millennium, post-millennium, a-millennium, right? Um, It's so confusing. And so what we have done is we've just simplified the second coming of Jesus Christ so that we can frighten the heebie-jeebies out of everyone. (laughs) And as I listen to some of our ideas about the second coming of Christ, it sounds so much like the song Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Jesus Christ is coming again. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus Christ is coming again. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Doesn't that sound like how we preach about the second coming? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not spout. I'm telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming again. But really, what is the whole reason why Jesus said he was coming again? Not to scare the daylights out of us, but to give us hope. That's the reason why he told us he's coming again. So there's one thing that is simple and crystal clear. Jesus said he's coming again, and the Bible says we are to make ourselves ready. 
So let me ask you these three questions as you consider and ponder these Christmas celebrations and as you think about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. My first question to you is this. Are you eagerly waiting the second coming of Christ? Simeon in the Christmas story is a great example. He didn't miss the first coming of Christ. I want to take you to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 32. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the coming of Christ, you see. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, the light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This man waited day after day, expecting to see the Messiah. He knew he wouldn't see death until he saw the Messiah. And so every day, can you imagine waiting with expectation? Now he is old. He's ready to go home to be with the Lord. He's not asking God, why am I not coming home? He knows why he's not gone home yet. He has to see the Messiah. And one day he walks into the temple, moved by the Holy Spirit. And there was the Christ. Right? Let me say this. When we live with expectation for the second coming of Christ, it changes the way we live our lives. For Simeon, it changed the way he lived his life. That was his focus. He needed to stay alive until he saw the Messiah. The posture of waiting will have a profound effect on how we live our lives. <coughs> let, me look at, uh, let me take you to 2 Peter 3, verse 10 to 14. Here Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. The looking forward. I'm not sure why Christians are very upset when scientists are all saying that global warming, you know, they, they, they find it difficult to understand global warming. Peter's talking about the earth being scorched and burnt, you know? So we shouldn't be, in fact, that's confirming what Peter is saying. 
that this world is heading towards this, right? But that's not, not my sermon today. My sermon is, Peter is saying, you're looking at this world around you, all right? And if your focus is on this temporal world, it's going to pass away. You should be postured and waiting for the second coming of Christ because that's where your hope is. A new heaven, a new earth. And if you're postured like that, it changes your life. It changes your lifestyle. It influences how you live. And you say, I've got to live a God-focused life. The second coming of Christ should motivate us to live a God-focused life. My second question. Are you living in the urgency? If, you're, if you are living with the second coming of Christ in mind, are you living with the urgency of that hour? Or are you lulled by the daily grind of everyday living? Romans 13, Paul says this, Romans 13, 11 to 14. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast out the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill its lusts. In other words, don't get caught up with this world. Live your life for God. I love the way the message puts it. This is how message translation uh, says. Make sure that you don't get absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day -day obligations. That you lose track of the time. And doze off, oblivious of God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. In other words, God is in the saving business. Everything else is temporal. And it will pass away. So the second coming of Christ should remind us that every day we are one step closer to the culmination of the ultimate plan of God, which is salvation. Finally, my third question. Do you have the right focus in order to endure to the end? As you go on with life, you know that life throws some curveballs. And the older you get, you understand the harder those difficulties come and the challenges come our way. Do you have the right focus in order to endure to the end? Hebrews 12, Craig um, brought that out last week. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrews author is saying, this is how Jesus did it. This is how he endured, all right? He looked beyond his suffering. He looked beyond the cross. Did you know 
that Jesus was born with a terminal diagnosis. Think about it. He was born with a terminal diagnosis. He was born to die. No medication. No hope. He was born to die. When, when um, John the Baptist saw him, what did he say? He pronounced the diagnosis. He pronounced his prognosis. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. How do you take away the sins of the world? If you were a Jew, you know how you take away the sins of the world. You take a lamb, a young spotless lamb, and you kill it. You sacrifice it. That was his diagnosis right from birth. He was born to die for the sins of the world. How do you live your life with such a prognosis? How do you every day wake up in the morning, right, with, 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 with a, it's a step in your beat and, and wanting to please God? How do you do that with such a prognosis that you, your end of life is death on a cross? The Hebrews author tells us how he did it. He looked beyond the cross and for the joy set before him. What was the joy? That he was going to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He saw the end and he lived his life with the end in mind. That's what the second coming of Christ does to us. We live our lives with the end in mind. The second coming of Christ helps us live with the end in mind. That is why Jesus taught the disciples how to live like that, right? When he had told them that he was going to die, in John 16, verse 22, 22, he says this, right? Um, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Then he gives this, this example of a mother, right? All the pain of childbirth, right? But then in the end, joy when, he see, when she sees the end, right? A child is born. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take away from you. He's telling them, this is how you live your life in the midst of sorrow and pain. This is how you live your life in the midst of tears. This is how you endure till the end. Think of the end. The end is I am coming again. The ancient giants of faith lived like that. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they have called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their, call, call him their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The second coming of Christ tells us how it ends. The second coming of Christ reminds us that we have a city prepared for us. Do you know that city? As I close in these moments, let me read to you where your destination is. Let me tell you where that city is. Revelation 21. I'm going to read seven verses if you don't mind. I pray as you hear this, 
your mind will capture in your imagination this end, this great place that where we end. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he or she will be my child. The second coming of Christ helps us endure. No matter what you're going through, it helps us endure because we know the end. We know how the story ends. So this Christmas, let us remember, he came. Praise God, he came as he promised he would. But let us also remember, he is coming again as he promised he will. Eagerly wait his return. It will influence the way you live your life. Don't get worn out by the daily grind. Stay alert, stay vigilant. He is coming soon. Get on with the Father's business of saving souls. Finally, keep the end in mind. It will enable you to endure this present suffering. Remember, he came the first time and they missed him. He's coming again. Let us not miss him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.